Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Let's go to John chapter 15. And um, let's just start at verse 1 here and let's see where we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. We're five verses in, and we've already seen bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, bearing more fruit, bearing consistent fruit. There's a, there's a goal of productivity here as a believer. There's a goal that we ought to be producing something, become fruitful. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 6 right there gives us a, a template or a principle that we're going to lean into today that we're going to unveil a little bit more of. But you get an idea of how uh, the Father, how the Master views unnecessary things. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 8 says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. See it again. It says the Father is actually glorified when we bear fruit. So the bearing of fruit is not for our glory. It's not for our exaltation. It's for the glory of the Father, for the exaltation of the kingdom. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. We've been journeying through this now for a while. We've really been diving into these concepts, really been understanding this idea of living aware. That's the title of this series, Living Aware. We are discovering that this abide, this remain, uh, does not speak to a frequenting, uh, doesn't speak to a visiting, or every now and then stopping in, we're talking about remaining in, abiding in with consistency, with diligence, with dedication, with intentionality, that we are living aware of the kingdom of God, living aware of heaven, living aware of what God is trying to do and what God is trying to accomplish. The first week we understood this, that living aware ought to be the most natural thing you and I do. This is where we started, that this living aware, this abiding in, this remaining in is not something we ought to strive after or toil after or should take a lot of uh, uh, effort in the sense of I'm, I'm working or I'm claiming or I'm trying to be. That the work is actually in the undoing of our old nature. 
But what Jesus is really trying to help us identify is that abiding in me ought to be as simple as the breath that you take. Ought to be as simple as the heart beating within your body, as simple as it is to get a command from your brain and your body carries that out. It should be as simple as living, dwelling, remaining, abiding in. And the enemy is always trying to get us to move toward religious activity. He always wants to make a checkbox out of things that God was trying to simplify. He always wants to make work, religious work. I'm not saying that there isn't any work at all uh, involved at all, but I'm not working to become, I'm working because. I'm not working to become approved, I'm working because I am approved. I'm not working to become, uh, uh, you know, received by God. I'm working because I am received by God. And so I'm not working for it. I'm working from it. You notice the difference. And so we've got to get that step straightened out because if we just make this abide in me and I in him another checkbox on our religious to-do list, we're going to miss the whole point. There won't be any abiding at all. And Jesus dealt with this in his own time frame. He said, I, was, I walked right amongst you, yet you still miss what was right in front of you. I dwelled among you. I lived among you. I came to this. Heaven came down to you, and you missed it. Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders, those that had made the abiding part a religious task, a tradition of men. And Jesus at one point actually tells the Pharisees, he says, you're you're actually putting a burden upon every person that follows you. And on top of that, you use the whole do as we say, not as we do approach. So the enemy's always working to make what God is trying to use to free us. He turns it into work that enslaves us work that keeps us restrained rather than work that frees us and liberates us and allows us to receive all that heaven has for us. Amen. So we have to understand that this abiding thing is just really us coming back to our natural habitat, the natural way God designed things. You go back to Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter three, before the fall, Living and abiding with an awareness of heaven was common nature to Adam and Eve. Not common in the sense that easily cast off, but common in the sense that it was their first reaction. It was their natural way of of living and identifying was we're in tune with heaven. The The only voice we know is the voice of the Father. And even when another voice was introduced, it should have been easy to identify and discern which one is the father speaking and which one is the enemy speaking. And without getting too deep into it, we can come to the conclusion in Genesis chapter three that they were not remaining and abiding in that voice, the father's voice, as much as they should. And therefore they ended up following a voice that was counteracting the voice of the father. So this abiding is very important. Confusion is the result of too many voices. I said confusion is the result of too many voices. Now, you're not going to live a life void of alternate voices. They couldn't live that way. Even in paradise, they couldn't live that way. 
you know you and I definitely don't stand a chance. But the more that we abide in his voice, it'll become familiar. And I've known this, that the voice that I'm more familiar with, I respond to. If you want to respond to heaven, you're going to have to hear from heaven. If you're going to hear from heaven, you're going to have to abide in heaven. That was what we looked at in week one. Week two, we understand that uh, when I begin to abide in him, I become aware of him. We said this, that what I abide in, I become aware of. What I abide in, I become aware of. I can spend very little amount of time. It doesn't take long. You can spend time with someone and you can quickly begin to find out where they abide. Because awareness will begin to reveal itself. Awareness will begin to identify you quickly. Identify what you respond to what controls you, what leads you, what directs you, what guides you, what instructions you follow, what instructions you don't follow. It can become very evident very quickly. What I'm aware of reveals what I abide in. And when I become aware of his things, y'all remember the four things I gave you last week? Abide, aware. When I become aware now I begin to desire. And that's where we see this, this uh, that he tells us later on, you'll ask whatever you desire and it'll be done for you. Now we don't get to just rip that verse out of the rest of the context and make God our uh, mystical heavenly genie that answers whatever requests we bring to him. You know that, right? We're smart enough to understand that. No, he starts answering our requests that align with his desires. It basically goes this way. When I want it, when I want what he wants for the same reason he wants it. When I want what he wants for the same reason he wants it. Oh, now we're aligning things. Now, now it's not him answering my desires. It's him answering my desires that have aligned with his desires. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires to desire. He will, you'll find yourself burdened by the things that burden him. You'll find yourself moved by the things that move him. You'll find yourself refraining from the things that he's refraining from. Jesus modeled this life to us, guys. He he modeled what it was to be a direct reflection, not just of the, the, the character of God, the nature of God, the heart of God, not just his actions. Jesus was not just obeying the Father out of obligation. Jesus was not obeying the Father out of fear of punishment for not obeying the Father. He was obeying the Father because his heart was so in tune and connected with and aligned with the heart of the Father. And I believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John revealed to us that whatever Jesus desired, whatever he requested, that's what took place. That's what showed up. We get one little window uh, in this Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus says, 
if there's any other cup, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. What does he quickly respond with? Not my will, but your will. That will save your life. It will save your life because it saved Jesus' life. By laying down his life, he actually saved his life. Not my will, but your will be done. When whatever I ask aligns with whatever he wants, we'll start seeing heaven come. When whatever I ask begins to align with whatever he wants, now we start seeing heaven fall, heaven come, heaven invade. You literally are paving a path for the kingdom to now make entrance into the earth. Last week, man, last week was good. Y'all remember last week? Mm, It was so good. We understood this in John chapter three when Jesus speaks with Nicodemus and he says, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And we identified that there's a possibility, a high possibility, that when Jesus said born again, he meant something different than what you and I mean when we say born again. This is where everyone started questioning their salvation. I could have given an altar call last week and I would have every single one of you down here. I'm not even saved. No. I'm not saying that to question whether or not you're born again. I'm saying that and asking the question to invite you into fully what Jesus meant when he said, unless one is born again. It's the only time Jesus ever mentioned being born again. And it was in the middle of the night with one man that came and asked him how all these signs are being produced. And he says, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we said this, that when you become born again and living a born again life, if you still have a greater revelation of your past than your future, you haven't fully walked into what Jesus meant by born again. And this happens all the time. I can ask you, man, what did did God deliver you from? And you can rattle off a list. And then I can go to, all right, what did God deliver you for? And all of a sudden we're silent. And I might get heaven. It's amazing. I'm more familiar with what I've been delivered from than what I've been delivered for. And this was not, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, when, when you become born again, you're going to see the kingdom of God. What's that? Aware. I'm going to become aware of different things. When I come into the kingdom of God, I've got to stop being aware of the old life. Stop being aware of the brokenness. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm thankful 
But some of us are so leaning on, oh, thank God I'm being redeemed from, and thank God I didn't, and thank God that we're not allowing ourselves to grow and progress and advance into who we God wants. We're thankful for where we've come from, but we haven't quite yet walked into where I'm still yet going. And then we wonder why we're hopeless and we wonder why we are still living with a lot of the pressures and challenges that we feel we've been delivered from and walked away from when I haven't even, I mean, we, I was talking with Pastor Chris this week. He said, it's like we can't walked into the doorway and then made a mat in the doorway and laid down in the doorway. There's still a whole house, man. You got butlers and you got chefs and you got people doing your laundry and you got hot showers and you got full beds and, and there's a whole, you know, there's greenery out back. You, you came out of darkness into light. It's time to start discovering the light. It's time to start learning who you are in Christ. It's time to start walking out and walking in everything that God truly has for us. I'm about to get fired up again. You say, well, but how am I supposed to know this? He goes just a few verses down later in John chapter 3 and says, no one has ever gone from here and ascended to heaven. But there is one that came from there and descended here. And he came here to teach you and to show you and to reveal to you and to introduce you. And then Jesus said, not only that, I was here for three and a half years. I show you what heaven looks like. What does heaven look like? There's a storm going on. Peace be still. We don't have enough bread. Multiply it. What did heaven look like? They're dead. Wake up. Daughter rise. That's heaven. He's introducing you to heaven. But not only that, Jesus says, I'm going to go one step further. When I leave here, I'm going to pray the father sends a comforter. And the comforter's job, the Holy Spirit's job is now to teach you and guide you and lead you into all truth. So everything that is still yet to be discovered, he will show you. And now you have a constant teacher living inside, dwelling inside you, abiding inside you. And Jesus said he'll abide with you forever. He's abiding with you to make you aware of what heaven already knows. He's abiding with you to clue you in into everything this book has to offer you. And I can promise you, I pro- just, just come a few weeks, I promise you, you'll find out that there's far more in here than say a prayer, do the best you can here, die and wither away, and go to heaven one day. So being born again is an invitation into a journey of discovery a journey of discovery, a journey of constantly discovering what this life is all about. That's what we found out last week. Well, this week, I want to work on the one I know you've all been waiting for. I say that sarcastically. But I hope today that we can change our perspective on pruning. I hope that we can understand the sole purpose, the greater purpose of pruning. Because in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, so even the fruitful ones, 
He prunes. And then he tells you why he prunes it. That it may bear more fruit. We have adopted incorrect views of what pruning is and does in our life. And pruning, you know, as a pastor, this is is probably one of the greatest areas that I deal with on a one-on-one basis. Because pruning is a very intimate deal. If you've ever pruned, um, you know, a branch or a leaf, I mean, you're, you're getting down to the small, minute stuff. And, and that's really why we, we don't like the pruning, honestly, is because it gets down into the stuff that we don't want anybody to know about. The, uh, it, it's, it begins to deal with the stuff that we would rather have left alone. But you know what I've learned? Uh, uh, you know, I'm not much of a, of a gardener at all. Don't give me plants, I'll kill them. I have no idea what I'm doing. But I do know this. I know this much. What grows if left alone? Weeds. If you leave it alone, something, something will grow. It's just not the stuff you want. Pruning is allowing us to cut back and clean up and remove what doesn't need to be there. In fact, this word in the Greek, it it literally means this. The word prune means this, to cleanse, to make pure, to cleanse of filth or impurity. It's literally what the word prune means. It means to cleanse. It means to make pure pure. It means to cleanse of filth or impurity. In fact, in the next verse, in verse um, three, right? Verse three, you are already clean because of the word. That word clean is the same Greek word as the word prune in verse two. It's the same same word, just two different English words words, but he's meaning the same thing. You're cleaned up. You're removing. This is, in essence, this is what it means. It means to remove what is of no value, worth, or use. To remove what is of no value, worth, or use. It's a removal process. Now, you know, when you came into the kingdom of God, you had a whole list of stuff that you did want God to remove. You want him to remove the anxiousness, and you want him to remove the worry, and you want him to remove the guilt and the shame. But you know that there is stuff in our lives sometimes that we take ownership of and that we get close to. And when pruning takes place, pruning goes after all of it. Pruning is not optional. And in fact, the verse tells us in verse two, you can either be cut on or cut off. You can either allow him to trim you up a little bit or you'll be removed altogether. I didn't write it. 
John wrote it by the Holy Spirit. He clearly identifies. Give me verse, uh, that's verse three. I need verse two. Give me verse two. It does not bear fruit. He takes away. And this is the thing. If you don't allow the pruning, you'll end up in the first category. If you don't allow them to prune, then you're not going to bear fruit, and you're going to end up in the cutoff. So the cutting's taking place either way. You can either allow him to cut on the stuff that needs to remove, trim it up a little bit, clean it up a little bit. Remember, it means to clean, to make pure, to remove filth or impurities. It's to remove the worthless things, the useless things, the things that have no value. Now, you might have value for it, but remember, this is about understanding not what I value. This is about understanding what God values. Pruning in the kingdom of God is God's way of adjusting our values. Pruning in the kingdom of God is God's way of adjusting our values. It's a tweaking mechanism. It's an adjustment tool. It's a way that we get a slight tweak and a slight adjustment there. You know what Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verse 1 says. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Every weight and the sin. Not every weight, not every weight is a sin necessarily. And this is where the enemy wants to trip you, you and I up. This is where he wants to mess us up, is he wants us to only focus on sins. And then what we do is we draw the line where sin is, and then we want to live on the line. That's messing us up, guys. That, that, that's, that's creating a very dangerous uh, uh, level. There's, there's no margin. How do you fall into sin if you're not anywhere near it? You fall into sin when you're close to it. There's a way to fall without falling into sin. You can just recognize, I don't want to keep going down that path because eventually it will lead to sin. And the wages of sin is death. Sin has always paid out in death and it always will. That's never going to change. It's the only wage it pays. Come on. But then there's these weights these weights in our lives. And the enemy's got us living, you know, this this subpar or mediocre or entry-level Christianity where we don't want to address the weights, we only want to address the sins. And now today, many of the sins can't even be addressed anymore. I'm not going to get on that. We're going to talk about weights today. We're going to talk about the trimming up. We're going to talk about the useless things, the unnecessary things. Now, sin is wait, it, sin is the same for everybody. If it's a sin for you, it's a sin for me. It's a sin for me, it's a sin for her. It's a sin for her, it's a sin for him. It's a sin for him, it's a sin for them. It's a sin for them, it's a sin, it's a sin for all of us. Sin is not designed, it, 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 it's not, um, you know, based on our time frame, our culture. 
where I live versus where someone else lives. Sin is just disobedience to God. Sin is just disobedience to the king. But now when we talk about weights, a weight for me not, might, might not be a weight for Chris. And a weight for Chris might not be a weight for Kyle and, and so on and so forth. And so how do we judge these weights? How do we, at the end of the day, it's about aligning our values and subjecting our values to the kingdom of God. So this is the thing, when you come out of a kingdom of darkness and you come into a kingdom of light, they're going to have two different values. And when we come into the kingdom of God, I don't know about you, but I can still tend to have a world view, a perspective of the world's system, how the world would operate, how the world would handle this, how the world would handle that, how the world would respond to this, how the world would, would respond to that. And now I need an alignment, a correction to take place. That's what pruning is. Pruning is the weeding out, the thinning out, the getting rid of, the carving off, the unnecessary things that are keeping us. Remember what it said, give me, give me a, a 15 verse 2 again, John 15 verse 2. We're going to be there a lot. He said what? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that what? It may bear more fruit. And guess what? You, he's not coming to us guys and asking. He's not taking a vote. He's not asking. Hey, you you want to bear some more fruit? Where, where are you at on the fruit level, on the fruit production this week? Is that, that good last week? We, no, he's coming and saying, there's more in you. Yep, there's more. Hey, great, great production last week. Hey, if we do a little tweak here, I can get more this week. We did some trimming last, last year, 2022. Oh, and you might have been ending, you know, December 31. Man, I, I did it, met my resolutions, did great. And then you thought January 1 was just going to be, I'm going to kick back this year and just bask in all the glory of all I produce. And he's, the master's coming in and saying, good job last year. Uh, quota's gone up this year. Come on. You never graduate out of producing fruit. And you never graduate out of the quantity. He's not just interested in the quality. He's interested in the quantity here. He says, I can get more. I can always get more kingdom. I can always get more of heaven to produce in my life. That somewhere, somewhere, I'm still responding like the world. Somewhere, I still have a worldly value system. Somewhere, I'm still doing things the way the world would do it. And now I need to discover how would the kingdom do it? How would God do it? How, how would God respond to this situation? He says that we will produce more fruit. This is the thing. Pruning does not decrease you. It increases you. It's addition by subtraction. Yeah? Addition by subtraction. What? I'm taking things off so that I can put something else on. I'm doing something less so that I can do the kingdom more. I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm satisfied or settled in my production level. I want to continue to grow. 
want to continue to increase. And this is God's system of increase. This is God's system of increase. This is how he is going to operate. Pruning is not punishment. Let's just go ahead. This is the last Sunday you ever feel like you're being punished when God starts questioning or challenging something in your life. Well, I must have blown it. I must have done. No, actually, actually, pruning is a reward. I'm helping like three people right now. And the rest of y'all are like, I'll come back next week. We're just... I'm going to pretend you didn't minister on pruning. I'll come back next week when you talk about the glory of heaven. (laughs) No, pruning is not a punishment. It's a reward. Who gets cut on? The ones bearing fruit. It's actually God looking at your life and saying, man, you're doing such a great job. I'm going to take some more off of you. If you're not being pruned, hello. Might be an indicator we're not producing something. The producers get pruned. Pruning. (laughs) Growth is always going to be met with cutting back. This is God's reward system. The reward for growth, the reward for production is snip, snip. What else can I take off? What else can I cut back? What else can I trim away? Come on. We can live a life that becomes desensitized to God's pruning in our life. We can live a life that we become so satisfied and we we become so settled in in where we're at or how much we've done or or how many verses I know or or how I deal with this or how I deal with but but God is always he he is man he, look at how much he talks about bearing fruit in just 8 verses. There's a production level that he's expecting. There's an expectation of production. There's an expectation that you should be giving, you should be producing, there should be fruit coming off of your life, and not just fruit, but more fruit. Not even God lives with the unnecessary. He says it in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Why would he put that one first? I would have started with every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Right? Start with the positive and go to the negative. He starts with every branch that does not bear fruit. I cut off. Because he's showing you, I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do. He's giving us the template first. Then he says, and I want you to do the same. I remove what's unnecessary. I remove what's not producing. I remove what's not bearing fruit. I remove. And so what are we pruning? We're pruning the things in our lives that don't bear fruit. Fruit for the kingdom of God. Y'all with me? 
He just gave you a template. I told you earlier in verse 6, he keeps going with this template. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So what do you think he's expecting you to do with the worthless stuff in your life? Cast it out and burn it up. Come on. Cast it out and burn it up. He's showing us the template. He's showing us this is how I treat things that are unnecessary. This is, I'm, we're not going to talk today about what the unnecessary things are because I could be here as full as this room is today. This is a, a full room. Golly. It's a good thing we bought those new chairs last year. A lot of y'all be sitting on the floor. And you might be sitting on the floor next week. I can't make you any promises. But I could go all over this room and talk about, wait, 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 wait. No? I'm not going to talk about the what. We're going to talk about the why we prune for more growth. We're going to talk about how we prune. And then I'm going to give you some examples of what this pruning looked like. But we got to start with pruning is not punishment. Pruning is not a result of something you did wrong. Pruning is a result of something you did right. I, I want us today, we are so comfortable with pruning. We invite pruning. I welcome the pruning. I will find something to cut on, find something to trim away, find something to cut back, find something that needs to be removed, cast off, thrown into the fire. Find the, find your Lord, open up my life. Help me see what needs to be pruned and removed with no hesitation, with no hesitation. He says in the very next verse, He says, you are already clean, verse 3. You're already pruned, is basically what he's saying. Because of the word, God does not prune with his hand. He prunes with his word. And this will help us jump off into next week. When we talk about the production, we said we abide. We become aware, we desire, and we produce. We'll talk about producing next week. What is producing the kingdom of God? How can my abiding turn into producing? That's ultimately the goal that he's trying to get us to. That's ultimately where he's trying to get us at. John 15, 1 through 8, is how can I get you to become fruitful disciples that glorify my Father in heaven? By this, my Father is glorified. You are already clean because of the word. This is what I know. When the word comes, the the, the Bible tells us that the word acts like a mirror and it reveals myself. It reveals me to me. If you read the Bible and you haven't learned something about yourself, you haven't read the Bible, you should be discovering who you are who you're supposed to be, and the elements that aren't, it should be readjusting your values. 
The word of God is readjusting our values. Back in the kingdom sense, in a government sense, this is discovering your rights, your privileges, your benefits, your identity. Come on. When you get full of the word, it'll take care of so much that you're trying to get everything else to to take care of. It'll take care of the anxiety. It'll take care of the worry. Come on. It'll take care of the sickness and disease. It'll take care of a lot of things in life that we run around chasing after things to try to cure or try to avoid or try to help or try to ease. And he's saying, man, if you'll get in my word, you'll learn my values. You'll learn my way of doing things. You'll learn how my system operates. And so I go to the word to readjust my values. I go to the word so I can learn what heaven is like and become more like heaven. I can learn, Father, how would you respond to this scenario? What do you think Jesus was doing when he bent down in the dirt when the adulterous woman was brought to him and began riding in the dirt? He's hearing from heaven. He's saying, I need an adjustment. What do you think he's doing when he asks the Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me? Getting out of alignment. But not my will. Your will be done. He's readjusting values. By one word. By one word. He said, you're already clean. You're already pruned. You're already, you're starting to trim away those things by the word that I have spoken to you. You're already clean. We have to understand that when we come into the kingdom of God, we cannot bring our former traditions. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus responds in verse 3, and he says, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? And this is he's saying, why do you think your value system is greater than mine? See, this is where the pruning really presents the challenge, is because what it's pruning is the way, what it's pruning in your life are the things you you hold so closely dear and tight to. And this is where a lot of a lot of believers get lost in the process is because the 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 kingdom especially the word of the kingdom not not every uh uh message and every gospel will will challenge you this way but the kingdom of God will the kingdom will start to disrupt what I think, what I thought, how I lived, even the things we thought we were doing right. And the kingdom comes in, the word of the kingdom comes in, and now I find out, wait, God's got a different value system for that. God's got a different different way of responding to that. God's got a different way of looking at that. God's got a different way of seeing that. And now I need a new alignment. Now I need a correction. Which leads us to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. 
We're going to read this in a few uh, different passages. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 in the Amplified reads this way. Do not be conformed to this world, this age. This is what we're getting pruned off of us. Fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. God knows what's best for you. Right? Every parent in this room at some point has probably told their child at some point, I know what's best for you. I know you don't think that what I'm telling you to do or asking you to do or assigning you to do is best for you. But I'm telling you, I promise you, I have your best interest at heart. It doesn't feel good. You'd rather do something else. You'd rather do it this way or that way. You'd rather not do what I'm asking you to do. But this is what's best for you. God knows what is best for us, but it requires a cutting off of our way of doing it. And when you come into the kingdom, guess what? You bring your world system with you. And so now we have this challenge because my world system wants nothing to do with God's system and God's system can't have anything to do with the world system. And so I've got to abandon one to put to take on another. Look at this in the message translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Do you see what you're laying down? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Then he goes on to say this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. That's that abiding. That's that remaining. You'll be changed from the inside out. He says, readily recognize, that's awareness, what he wants from you and quickly respond. That's the producing. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What are we saying? We're saying that a taking on of God's values is going to require an abandoning of our values. Your alignments, your, your values need to be aligned. Your values need to be adjusted. Your values need to be tweaked. And just when you think you figured it out, he comes in with the shearers and says, there's one more we can snip off. Oh, there's another one over there. We got this leafy thing hanging off over there. We need to get rid of that constantly tweaking us to the greatest level of productivity. 
to the greatest level of fruitfulness, to the greatest capacity. We said this on Wednesday night. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about growing up spiritually and how maturity increases capacity. I can ask more from a mature adult than I can from an immature child. Hello. You know this. This is simple. This is a simple process that maturity actually increases what I'm able to give away. How do I reach that potential? How do I reach this capacity where I can give away more? Pruning. Pruning is the reward for growth. Pruning is the reward for growth. So let me show you in the word some examples. Matthew chapter 14. We got to make this relatable, don't we? You, you can't just walk away from here and say, okay, now what does God's pruning look like? Where, what's, what's he challenging? What, she's, what's, what is he questioning? Some of you, you may already have an idea of that in your life. Again, I'm not here to tell you the what. The Holy Spirit will. As a gentleman, quietly from the inside, not in an embarrassing way, will help you identify and see what needs to be pruned. It may be in the area of forgiveness and offense. It may be in the area of how you treat people. It may be in the area of sickness and disease. It may be in the area of the Holy Spirit himself. It may be in the area of how you handle your finances. It may be in the area of church and church going, reading the word. Well, there's always tweaking and adjusting that needs to take place. Just as we saw in Romans, it can be easy to adjust to this world's view. It can be easy to buy into their view. And what have we been saying? Where you abide is where you become aware of. And you know as well as I do, we all have plenty of unnecessary things we can clip off. That doesn't mean you can't go home and watch the football games this afternoon. That doesn't mean you can't eat what you've always eaten. doesn't mean you can't do this and can't do that. We're not going to turn this into religious activity. We're understanding, I need to understand the value system of the kingdom of God. I had an instructor at Bible school. I said, I'd watch a, a movie or a football game, but I would always make sure that I spent just as much time as I spent watching the game in the word of God. Because why would I give the world three times as much as I give to God? It's simple values. It's a value system. And let me tell you this. God only corrects what he loves. His word is clear on that. You know this too. You correct what you care about. You be at the restaurant, hear some other kid going off, and you ain't going to say a word. Your kid does it. We corrected it. Now, you might want to go off on the other kid. And if it weren't 2023, you might. Right? But your own kid, I got full rights. We're correcting this because I care how you make me look in public. (laughs) You're making me look bad. Amen. No, you correct what you care about. It's only revealing what God values and what God 
loves and what God, what is important to the heart of the Father. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. That's pruning. He's pruning them. Because verse 17 says, but we only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, where's my shears? Where's my shears? We, We need to work on that. We only? In the kingdom, you never only have anything. It's an adjustment of values. That's pruning. Come on, I want to I get us off of this punishment mindset. They, they blew it. They missed it. They did something wrong. Now, yeah, sometimes they did things wrong. But the reward for growth, he wouldn't be pruning them in this matter if they hadn't to some degree proven growth to this level. You don't prune what can't be what can't receive, but at some point they demonstrated an ability to see that God said, all right, we're going to prune. But we only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, bring them here to me. He commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves, two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. That is a that is showing you what heaven looks like. In, in, in the world system, you send them away to go buy food. In the kingdom system, you multiply it. Come on. No, he's getting rid of lack. The viewpoint of the world is we don't have enough. The viewpoint of the kingdom is I'll work with what I got. It's always enough in the kingdom of God. They just got pruned. You can keep on going in verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? And I'd be like, I just walked on water. What are you talking about? Little faith. Do you know what it took to get out of this boat on this water? And Jesus responds with pruning. He gets the shears back out. All right, we're going to clip on that. You of little faith. That's pruning. That's adjusting. And those in the boat whispered, 
after the wind had ceased, and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew chapter, I'm about to pick some of these. I'm, I can't show all of them. Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6. Go to Mark chapter 6. It's good to get pruned. It's good to get adjusted. It brings things into alignment. Mark chapter 6 and verse 1, he left there, came to his hometown. His disciples followed him when the Sabbath came. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. What's the next passage? What's the next phrase say? He was going around the villages teaching. You could say he was going around the villages pruning. Tweaking. Cutting off. You got offended that someone from your own hometown showed up doing miracle signs and wonders, preaching a word with authority. We got some pruning to do. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'll give you two more. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter is rebuking Jesus. How many of you know what's coming next? Some pruning's coming next. Everybody's stepping back is like, okay, Peter, you've gone over the deep end. Now. When that lightning comes, I don't want to be anywhere near you. You're rebuking Jesus. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not, here it is, you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. You're not thinking the way God would think. You're thinking the way man would think. I understand you don't want me killed. You don't want me to go. You don't want me tortured. You don't want me going through this but I need to tweak your perspective a little bit. I need you to see from heaven. I need you to see the big picture. I need you to see God's hand at work. I need you to see what's really happening here. He's pruning. Give you one more. Worship team, y'all can make your way to the stage. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Actually, I'll do two more, but they're in the same chapter right here. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. 
Mark 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. He's pruning their viewpoint, pruning their perspective, aligning their values, cutting back what is worthless, useless, of no value, unnecessary. He's aligning their values. You go on to verse 17. Look what verse 17 says. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. You see that? You see that? Jesus what? Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. I mean, that's pretty good. You only lack in one thing. But the one thing he lacked was pretty important. You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Even if it's just the one thing, Jesus still has to prune it, cut it off. Why would he turn someone away from wanting to travel with him, follow him and help him in his ministry? Because this man was still married to his perspective, his view. Jesus goes on in this passage. We won't get uh, all into it, but he basically goes on. Uh, and let's, let's read it. Read it. Verse, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. For that camel to get through that gate, which is what he's referencing, He's not literally talking about an eye of a needle. He's talking about a gate to a city. They had to pull everything off that the camel was carrying. They had to remove what was unnecessary. They had to remove what was of no value. They had to, he says, it's easier for the camel to get than for the wealthy man. Why? Because it's tough to let that go. It's tough to cut that off. It's tough to prune that away. He goes on to say, in verse 26, it actually says, they were even more astonished. He's like like blowing their mind right here. 
please blow in their mind because they saw a rich young ruler that just got turned away. And they're thinking, if he can't get in, if he can't get in with all his stuff, and Jesus was saying, that's exactly the problem. He's trying to come in with all his stuff. He's trying to bring in all, all the stuff that he thinks makes him worthwhile. All the stuff that he thinks adds value. And I'm telling you, when, when, when God starts pruning, you're going to start seeing things get challenged that you thought were valuable, that you thought were important that you thought you had to have, that you thought you, you that I, there's no way I can serve God without this. And he's going to say, no, because I don't want your stuff. I want you. So let me prune. Let me tweak. Let me adjust. Verse 27, looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. Because all things are possible with God. What's possible? Pruning. I told you, this is the one where, where, where most believers get hung up. I'm all for serving the king until he messes with that one thing. I'm all for serving his purpose until he starts identifying the stuff that I really value and I really hold on to and I really don't want to let go. In Matthew 15, we saw that people valued their traditions over the command of God. People love their traditions. But God will mess with all of it. He'll challenge it and he'll question it. Not to get you under his thumb, not to control you, to liberate you, to set you free, to help you see you, you, you don't need that. I've got something for you that's greater than what you're trying to hold on to. If you could let go of this, you'd be able to get a hold of all this. He was trying to help that rich young ruler. He wasn't trying to make him poor. He's trying to make him rich. He's trying to determine, do you find your worth and your value in your riches? He said that he turned away and was dismayed because he had many valuables. Do we have too many valuables to allow ourselves to be fully useful for the kingdom of God? You'll find out when he begins to prune. You find out when you begin to see the adjustments that need to be made. You'll find out when the, when the, 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 the light comes on that says, you know what? I don't value that in my kingdom the way you value it, the way you think I value it. Could y'all just stay with me in just a moment of reflection? Guys, it's, it's, it's always important. I know that when we come into the kingdom, we typically make entrance into the kingdom letting go of the stuff we don't want. But you make progress in the kingdom by letting go of the stuff you do want. I'll say that again. You come into the kingdom letting go of what you don't want. But your progress and your advancement and your growth, your development, your fruitfulness, your productivity is hinging on will you let God trim the stuff off? 
And I know there's some in this room. I don't know specifically. I just know that there are some in this room. I don't know who, but God's been dealing with you about a certain thing. And you've maybe even been questioning, was that just God or is that me? Is is that just me thinking I need to do this and I need to do that? But you know, you know what God is working on. And just with every head bowed, every eye closed, a personal time of reflection, forget who's next to you, in front of you, behind you. Just yield that over to him this morning. Let him prune it. Let him work on it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.